0: Hello and welcome once again to What's Out There, the paranormal podcast from Out There Paranormal Group. And chatting for you tonight on this episode, we have myself, Nigel,
1: and myself, Juliet. Hello.
0: Hello. We are back.
1: We are. We we've keep, been poorly.
0: We have been very, very poorly.
1: It was weird we were ill at the same oh, time. Oh, God, and
0: we were both so. Well, you were a lot worse than I what, was. What, no? You, were really you poorly. had COVID. Well, I know, but I didn't have a really bad dose for you, basically. Well, I you just had were, a chest oh.
1: infection. I didn't have COVID, folks, but I did go down with a really bad chest infection. A really
0: nasty one. Yeah, yeah it was horrible. Yeah, really, you sort of laid up, didn't it? And that,
1: then I so. got allergic to the antibiotics.
0: It was not good, what it? What a nightmare. Was it? it was horrendous. What a nightmare.
1: And then you were your COVID. I know. Oh, bless your heart. But we're over it now.
0: We're here and this, believe it or not, is our first episode of 2024.
1: Oh my God. And look, we're in February already. We've lost a whole (gasps) month. Lost a whole month of being poorly sick.
0: Mind you, it was the worst month of it. Was it January?
1: Oh God. January was pants. Do you guys think it was pants as well?
0: uh, 2024 has not got off to a good start for us, has it? But we're hoping from now on it's going to be be slightly better.
1: When your ass is on the ground, it can only go up, right?
0: Exactly. You know. Spot on there. Yeah, see it. But anyway, we've worked really hard to find you some fantastic stories. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a theme because we've been on a bit of a journey. We have. We have been on a bit of a journey, haven't we, from sickness to health.
1: <laughs> no <elf> health <laughs> garnets No health
0: garnets, no. Its note. <laughs> so we decided to take some different modes of transport on our journey.
1: So, we're going to mix it up, folks, and we're going to do
0: trains, planes, and automobiles.
1: So, let the train take the strain. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen, and let our railway journey begin. Yeah.
0: Our first tow, like every train journey, starts at the railway station. But not just any railway station.
1: Welcome to this service for London-Liverpool Street. We will be calling at Dis, Stowmarket, Ipswich, Manningtree, Colchester, Chelmsford, Stratford and London-Liverpool Street.
0: Travelling from the fair city of Norwich to London by train, our journey ends in the capital at Liverpool Street Station. Receiving roughly 123 million visitors per annum, Liverpool Street Station is considered to be the third busiest station in the United Kingdom. Now, busy train stations can seem like bedlam sometimes, and Liverpool Street is no exception. But the funny thing is, that this particular station stands on the site of the old Bethlehem Royal Hospital, or Bedlam for short. Now, Bedlam had a terrible reputation, an asylum where the inmates were subjected to the most brutal treatments.
1: Crikey. Now, one poor inmate, it seems, was destined to never leave. The woman whose spirit is believed to roam the station is a certain Rebecca Griffiths, who was treated at Bedlam in the 1780s. Now, she had a small coin that she used to cling desperately to and would go into a fit of screaming if anyone tried to take it away from her. Ah! When Rebecca died, however, someone stole that coin from her and she was buried without it. Now, so desperate was Rebecca to get it back that she still walks the tunnels of Liverpool Street, screaming the place down looking for her precious coin. Rebecca is not the only spirit wandering around the station, however. Over the years, maintenance workers at Liverpool Street Station have complained about the ghost of a man wearing white overalls appearing on the eastbound central tube line platform outside of working hours. He said to appear as though waiting for a train that never arrives. This particular phantom has been captured on the station's CCTV cameras.
0: Now, during the summer of 2000 a line controller noticed something strange on the CCTV cameras he was monitoring at Liverpool Street Station. At 2am at the entrance of the Central Line's eastbound tunnel he saw a man wearing white overalls and he shouldn't have been there
1: now no contractors were supposed to be working and the station was supposed to be closed so the controller alerted the station supervisor who went to investigate but he was a bit scared
0: just a bit. would you walk down there I've seen yeah. a guy I've seen, yeah, no, yeah I would, we would actually. actually we would actually yeah, yeah we'll go we'll go
1: <laughs> but this chap found absolutely nothing so the supervisor reported back to the line controller via telephone. The CCTV camera showed that the figure had been standing right beside the station supervisor, but he hadn't seen the figure. The supervisor conducted a second search. The CCTV apparently showed him passing very close to the figure in white, but he still did not see him. The pair eventually gave up the search and it was then whilst returning to the tunnel that the supervisor found a pair of white overalls lying on a bench and there was apparently no way in which they could have been left by someone unnoticed.
0: <laughs> you're, you're, sta- you're standing there, okay. You're walking up and down this tunnel I on a plane, know. train platform. there's someone watching a CCTV camera saying he's right next to you. I mean, yeah, yeah would you would know? I have to think twice about going down there. Then
1: I would love it. I would so exciting.
0: Actually, that would seriously scare the crap out of me. Well,
1: I've had things standing, because I've said to you before, that, I felt something next to me. and You've caught shadows on camera. You've that is seen true. It, actually, I'm you? not
0: panicked about it, have I? So no. I suppose it's it's in the circumstance, isn't well, yeah. it? So, but
1: when you're when you're in it and you're in the thick of it, you know, yeah, I think it's it's more your brain playing tricks on you rather than what's actually going on, I think. True. Because it's the yeah. fear, isn't it? Because
0: when we we'll would be out investigating, I'd be more interested in actually trying to capture something. So I'd be like, oh my God, have we got on camera? Did mm. we record that? Like, was there any noises? But when we are in the woods that
1: time, gosh, that was scary. Oh,
0: yeah, that was genuinely scary genuinely i mean (laughs) let's take a deep breath when you think about it because it was so scary
1: we're nuts really aren't
0: we we are but then again that's half the fun of it (laughs) so we're going to leave liverpool street station um we could of course jump onto the tube and visit any number of creepy tube stations many with a spooky tale to tell and there's some really really good ones But I think we're going to save that one Mm -hmm. for another podcast.
1: All right. So where are we off to next night?
0: Oh, now we're going to take a trip to Sweden to jump aboard the Silver Pylon and take a trip to the Station of the Dead.
1: Oh, brilliant. I would Mm, love to go there. There we go. Now, our story begins back in 1965. That year, Stockholm Metro purchased eight unpainted aluminium trains to add to its fleet. This bear aluminium train, which could be made more cheaply than the standard green ones already running on the Metro, was mainly used as a test to see how it performed, the idea being that such trains could be a cost-effective option for the expanding urban transit system.
0: As mentioned previously, all the trains in the Metro system were painted as stock green in the 1960s, So when a silver train showed up on a line, it got people talking. Even before it became a ghost story, the train earned the nickname Silver Pylon, the silver arrow from the locals. The train wasn't proving very popular with commuters who were used to the green trains and they took offense at its raw silver look. But it was not just the shiny silver exterior that set the train apart. The cars were of a slightly different design than the standard Stockholm Metro trains. The doors slid open on the outside of the train, allowing for a slightly expanded interior, and the insides were free from the usual ads and decorations. Unlike the generally shining and clean metro trains, most commuters were used to. The insides of the silver train were a bit dirtier. Bearing the marks of removed graffiti, they looked derelict and frankly downright dystopian. Combine this with the unpredictable rarity of these trains, it didn't take long for an urban legend to grow up around it.
1: So the legend goes, if you got on board the Silver Arrow, you didn't get taken to any station, you just travelled and travelled and travelled and never got out. The tale was embellished with extra little details like the train is only seen after midnight, it stops only once every year, the passengers in the train seem to be living dead with expressionless vacant looks. That's normal isn't it? It is normal, yeah. (laughs) Especially in some parts of London. (laughs) One very common detail is that a person who just wanted to travel to the next station remained seated on board the Silver Pylon for a whole week.
0: Of course, any good ghost train needs a ghost station to stop at. According to legend, the train's destination was an equally unsettling, totally abandoned station known as Time
1: Well pronounced. i know. I'm impressed.
0: The station was built to serve as near the slot of economic redevelopment. However, this development never materialised.
1: Now, without the expected demand for the station, the fully completed structure never opened to commuters. Soon, this silent and mysterious ghost station began accruing urban legends of its own, sparking a local saying only the dead get off at Linge. Have I pronounced that correctly? <laughs> yes, <laughs> My correctly. goodness me. So, it wasn't long before the legends of Linge. are you trying to catch me out here? And Silver Pylon became intertwined, and the station came to be known as the home of Silver Pylon, or the station where the ghost train picks up the dead. <laughs>
0: The silver pilot trains were taken out of service in 1996, but the stories continue as a Stockholm urban legend. So if you find yourself in Stockholm waiting for a metro train and a mysterious silver train arrives, don't get on board as you may never get to your destination and be doomed to ride the rails forever.
1: With the scary vacant faces.
0: Living dead. So we let the train take the strain. Now we're going to have to come fly with me, come fly, come fly away. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that came from. I was going to say, are we actually going on
1: to planes now, we? Actually?
0: are going on planes now. How did you guess? Oh. I don't know where you got that one Tricky from. Tricky one, that one. It <laughs> is. And this is a classic story. And I thought I really wanted to tell this one because mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those completely weird ones that you just cannot explain i
1: love these
0: so i thought nope we're going to tell this one so without any further ado let's take you back to december the 29th 1972 and eastern airlines flight 401 is crossing the everglades in florida the lockheed l1011 tristar was making its final approach towards miami airport with 163 passengers and 13 crew on board
1: Miami tower during Eastern 401, just turned on final. Eastern 401 heavy, continue approach to nine left.
0: Continue approach, roger. The landing gear indicator failed to illuminate, signaling an issue with the nose gear. I'm
1: going to try it down one more time. You want me to test the lights or not?
0: Yeah, check it. Which seat back. The pilots then made a decision to abort the landing with the intention of diagnosing the problem. They set the aircraft on autopilot to maintain stability. You want me to fly, Doug? What frequency did he want us on?
1: Uh, 28.6. I'll talk to him. All right, Approach Control, Eastern 401. We're right over the airport here and climbing to 2,000 feet. In fact, we've just reached 2,000 feet and we've got to get a green light on our nose gear. Eastern 401, Roger. Turn left,
0: heading 360. Maintain 2000. Vectors to nine left. Final.
1: Uh, left to 360. I think it's above the red one. Yeah, I can't get it from here. I can't make it pull out either. We got pressure. Yes, sir. All systems. Put the damn thing on autopilot. All right. See if you can put that light out. Well, you got to push the switches a little bit further forward.
0: It's a mechanical flaw led the autopilot to alter the plane's altitude, and the plane began to descend.
1: Now, by the time the crew realized it was too late, at approximately 227 miles per hour, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 plummeted into the Florida Everglades. The catastrophic crash claimed 101 lives, including the pilot, co-pilot, flight engineer, and a large number of the passengers. the valiant efforts of rescue teams on that fateful night saved the lives of 75 passengers and crew members.
0: In the wake of the tragic crash of Eastern Airlines Flight 401, a series of eerie and inexplicable events began to unfold on other Eastern Airline flights. Crew members and passengers aboard subsequent Eastern Airlines flights reported a series of strange sightings, where they encountered members of the flight crew from flight 401. Not unusual, you would think, until you realise that the crew members they encountered were all killed in the fatal crash of flight 401.
1: JFK Airport 1973 and an Eastern Airlines TriStar was boarding for its flight down to Miami. Travelling that morning was one of the airline's vice-presidents. As a VIP passenger, he was allowed onto the aircraft first and made his way to the first-class cabin. As he moved towards his seat, he noticed a company captain in full uniform and went over to have a chat. During the ensuing conversation, he suddenly realised he was speaking to Bob Loft. The apparition quickly disappeared and the Vice-President rushed off to find a crew member, terrified that it could be an omen that something would happen to this aircraft. A search of the plane was carried out before any other passengers boarded, but there was no sign of the mystery captain. A few months later, back at JFK, a crew boarding the same aircraft were surprised to see Loft already sat in the flight deck. They apparently chatted to the ghost, not realising who he was, before he vanished right before their eyes. The flight was later cancelled as the crew were simply too shaken to operate.
0: On the TriStar Jets, flight engineers would usually arrive at the aircraft before the other crew to carry out their pre-flight checks. This particular day, a flight engineer was stunned to see an Eastern 2nd officer already sat in his seat. He immediately recognised him as Don Repo, and the apparition said to him, You don't need to worry about the pre-flight. I've already done it before disappearing. Some weeks later, another captain was checking the instruments before a flight from Miami to Atlanta. Staring him right in the face was the unmistakable outline of a repo's face. The captain claimed he distinctly heard the words, There will never be another crash on an L 1011. We will not let it happen. The L 1011, by the way, is a TriStar jet.
1: Now, flight engineer Don Repo also made his spectral presence felt in most unnerving ways. Reports surfaced of a flight attendant discovering Repo's visage peering from an overhead locker. Another account detailed a flight attendant witnessing Repo's face manifesting on an oven door, followed by his warning of a potential fire on the plane, and subsequently an engine failure on the return flight required an engine shutdown to stop it bursting into flames. Now, had Repo's spirit intervened to warn of this incident...
0: And it wasn't just flight crews who saw the ghostly going apparitions. On one occasion, several caterers loading a Tristar for its next flight were seen rushing off the jet and refused to get back on. When asked why, they all stated they'd seen a flight engineer stood in the forward galley before he disappeared.
1: Passengers also reported strange occurrences. A woman sat next to an Eastern Airlines pilot who she said looked ill, called a stewardess only for the pilot to disappear. Another lady summoned a crew member as she was concerned about the unresponsive pilot sat next to her. The man once again disappeared, leaving the passenger hysterical. There was one link between all of these sightings, however. The planes where the sightings took place had all received spare parts from the remains of flight 401.
0: Although the majority of the plane was destroyed, certain parts such as the galley were salvageable. Easton and Lockheed agreed that these parts could be reused and fitted into other L-1011 Tri-Stars on the production line. As the sightings became more and more frequent, rumours circulated that pilots and crew refused to fly on the L-1011s that had parts of the doomed jet fitted. Eventually, all of the salvaged parts from Flight 401 were later replaced from the suspect jets, and the sightings of Bob Loft and Don Repo stopped. But their haunting words to protect Easton's L-1011 fleet came true. In the years after the crash, until the airline's closure, there were no more fatal crashes on the Tristar fleet. There you go. I had, I just had to share that one because it is such a fascinating story. Have really, they made really a is. movie of that one? They have, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's various books about it as well. The story is a lot more involved. Um, if I'd have sort of taken all the bits out and, and run through all the bits that I'd sort of found out, we would we'd have been here all night but to give people a taste of it. So if you want to look a bit further, go and look up flight 401 because the, the story is completely fascinating.
1: I mean, it's interesting because obviously the passengers don't know there's parts that have been used no. in these planes and yet they're having experiences of the pilots and the crew that were on the oh,
0: plane on that those crashed. planes, yeah. So, and yeah. it's amazing that when they showed, um, one of them, when they they sort of recognised the engineer, saw the engineer on the flight and they mm. showed them pictures of him and they then sort of, picture man said yeah that's the guy yeah and uh, not realizing that it was repo you know and actually died in the the everglades accident so but were they there protecting the passengers i mean
1: the the interesting thing to me is the fact that sometimes they had conversations with yeah. whatever or whomever it was that they saw so it wasn't just you know um I don't know, like a manifestation or, or a memory or anything like that. It, it was, you know, it was at times conversing with people.
0: They were real. Yeah. They were like me and you. They were just there. Yeah. You know, and you see the person and you chat to him. It's like the first one when the vice president. Mm. Saw the guy in the uniform, went over to talk to him because that's what you do. And, Crap. That's Bob Lofton. He's not supposed to be on this film. I
1: love stories like that. They're really,
0: really cool. Yeah. Mm.
1: I read that years ago, that's that story, and I absolutely loved it.
0: I think the film itself was made in about nineteen seventy eight or something like that. No, I haven't. As I was sort of researching through it, I found it, so I'm gonna have to see (laughs) if we can find it and have a look at it. Yeah, Yeah. but it sounds sort of perfectly creepy.
1: Try Starfleet.
0: Yeah, that's the, the kind of plane that it was. Yeah. They were called TriStar. Yeah. So it's the 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 L one oh one one, which is the the number designation for the plane, mm-hmm. but the TriStar was the actual make of the plane itself. And they were quite a modern plane then, it was quite a new plane. The reason why they took the bits is because they're obviously expensive. Yeah. This is savage. Bar. Well, we can use them as spare parts, but
1: we know another story where parts of a certain machine We do used. indeed. We're we gonna tell that one. Actually so? takes us
0: very nicely. <laughs>
1: onto Mm. the next section of
0: this podcast because we've had a train trip, we've had our flight, it's now time for us to find our keys for our cars and go out for a drive. Yes.
1: So, automobiles. Well... I bet a fair few of us have had cars that make us curse.
0: I know I have. We have indeed. Have you? I have. What was yours? We talked about it earlier, Ford Fiesta. Oh, of
1: course it was. Sorry, Ford Fiesta. But what if you had a car that was actually cursed? Like, really cursed? Here are a couple of examples of vehicles you might not want to take for a drive
0: okay in september 1955 a famous actor called james dean bought himself a shiny new car a porsche 550 spider nice he had this love of fast cars and this little beauty fitted the bill perfectly james dean raced cars and he purchased this particular vehicle in anticipation for his return to SCCA Motorsports. The plan was to drive the car to Salinas, California for the car's introductory race. Dean bought the Porsche for $7,000 and handed it over to George Barris, a legendary car customizer, to add the iconic number 130 across the Porsche's hood and the moniker Little Bastard over the grill.
1: Well... A week before leaving, Dean met British actor Alec Guinness in LA. Guinness had an ominous feeling on seeing the Porsche and said to Dean, please never get in it. If you get in that car, you'll be found dead in it by this time next week. Now, this was a horrible premonition that unfortunately came true because just a week later, the car with James Dean driving and Rolf Wutherich, a Porsche mechanic, as a passenger, was involved in a catastrophic collision on the way to a race meeting.
0: Dean was barreling along Route 46 at an estimated 85 miles an hour. <laughs> When Donald Turnipseed, a young student from California Polytechnic State University driving a Ford Tudor decided to make a sudden turn onto Route 41. The Porsche hit the car, with the impact sending the Ford almost 40 feet down the road. Wutheridge was ejected from the Porsche and suffered a double fractured jaw and serious hip and femur injuries. Dean, however, was not so fortunate and was pronounced dead on arrival at the Pasos Robles War Memorial Hospital at 6.20 p.m. The Porsche was a mangled mess after the accident. Little bastard was nearly bent in half. Despite being declared a total loss by the insurance company, the car was sold on and would continue to cause carnage wherever it, or even parts of it, went, living up to its name. The little bastard,
1: you pronounced that very well at the I end did, didn't I, I yeah. was impressed, so it goes on. Dr. William Esrich bought the Porsche from a salvage yard in Burbank and proceeded to strip it for parts. Esrich installed the Porsche's engine into his Lotus Nine race car, then loaned the transmission and suspension parts to fellow doctor and racer Troy McHenry. S. Rich crashed the Lotus at the 1956 Pomona sports car races. The wheels locked up out of nowhere, causing the car to flip and seriously injuring him. But at least he was still alive. McHenry, however, wasn't as lucky. He hit the only tree on the racetrack in the very first lap of the same race. An accident that cost him his life.
0: The remaining parts of the car, which was basically four wheels, a mangled body, and a twisted frame, were sold to George Barris, who sold two tyres from the car and loaned the body to the Los Angeles chapter of the National Safety Council as a travelling display. The tyres that Barris sold reportedly blew at the same time, causing yet another accident. The little bastard was not finished yet. The first exhibition failed after the garage housing the wreck burned down, but the flames didn't harm the car. The exhibition went to a local high school where the car fell off its display and broke a student's hip.
1: On his way to another exhibition, George Barkas was supposedly hauling the car on a flatbed when he got in an accident and was ejected from the vehicle. And whilst he lay on the ground, the Porsche then fell off the truck and killed him dead.
0: After this latest incident, the Porsche was locked away in storage, where the car mysteriously caught fire. Finally, In nineteen sixty, whilst being transported from Miami to Los Angeles, the car mysteriously disappeared, never to be seen again.
1: That is so weird, isn't it? it? How can it just vanish? It's gone. Well it's not. Someone's got it. Someone's got it, yeah. Obviously knew, didn't they?
0: They must have known what it was, yeah. Got rid of it. Got hold of it, yeah.
1: So there is, however, one part still remaining that is confirmed to be from Dean's car. A transaxle that was found in a wooden crate in rural Massachusetts. Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures spent $382,000 in 2021 on the transaxle from McHenry's wreck. The same transaxle was in Dean's car as well. It now sits on display at Bagan's The Haunted Museum in Las Vegas, and so far, thankfully, it hasn't harmed any visitors. So, has the little bastard curse finally finished? Only time will tell.
0: There is one final little twist to this tale. Ralph Wutheridge, who was the passenger in the car with Dean, suffered from terrible survivor's guilt as a result of the accident. Some Dean fans blamed Wutheridge for the actor's death and sent him abusive threatening letters. He attempted suicide twice in the 1960s because of his guilt. In one of these attempts he stabbed his wife 14 times in a failed murder-suicide attempt. Wutheridge was arrested and in 1969 was found guilty of attempted manslaughter. Due to his mental instability, Witheridge was ultimately sent to a mental institution in Wiesenau in lieu of prison. He died in
1: 1981, after losing control of his Honda Civic car, whilst intoxicated and hitting a wall. Like James Dean, Wutherich had to be cut from the wreck and was pronounced dead at the scene.
0: It's a weird twist, isn't it? Yes. And a sad end as well.
1: Creepy as anything. Yeah.
0: And you would think that, well, all that accident, parts. yeah, and all those bits and him actually then going like that at the end of it as well
1: really sad yeah
0: where is that car
1: well I hope someone got rid of it and threw it in a lake somewhere
0: you would hope so well hopefully
1: actually no because that'll pollute the lake but you know what I mean just got rid of it somewhere
0: but I'm actually wondering whether someone actually knows what the car is and they've got it and they're just keeping it
1: they probably have you know
0: yeah
1: oh that's horrible it?
0: yeah whatever you do don't try and repair it and drive it
1: yeah well Zach will try and buy it
0: yeah Yeah, (laughs) that's true (laughs) now go from supercar to not quite so supercar.
1: Oh, I don't know. Some people used to love oh, these those cars choice. back in the day. My
0: brother had two of them. Really? Yeah. yeah. One was a horrendous mustard-coloured thing. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And the other <laughs> one was nicked by gypsies from the Roundwood estate in <laughs> Norwich.
1: Brilliant. Absolute classic. Oh, shit class.
0: Anyway, our next sale features a chavtastic dream machine from the Ford Motor Company. These days, hip cats need more than just a modern haircut and snazzy clothes to impress the lady. Now, for fellas who live life
1: in the fast lane, there's the Ford Capri 2000 GL. It'll turn a girl's head
0: as easily as it'll turn a corner. Yes, yeah, sleek lines and sporty good looks come as standard on this beauty. And with slick handling, your lady friends may notice you go a little faster than they used to.
1: Can you guess what it is, yet? Yeah?
0: Here we go. In 1997. Oh my God. Keith.
1: See, it's your turn now.
0: Tagliaferro <laughs> purchased a clapped out 1982 registered purple Ford Capri. Nice. But he found out that he had brought more than he had bargained for. Keith. Told his local newspaper at the time, I bought the car because I deal in number plates and it's very eye catching. But the man who sold it to me appeared very keen to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, probably because it was purple.
0: <laughs> More than likely. <laughs> yeah. Not a very flattering colour, is it? No.
1: Now, the number plate was ARK666Y. So, had Keith purchased a Capri with a satanic link? Because after all, Six, six, six is the number of the beast. Now he blames the purple car for a string of bad luck and strange events that include the death of a family pet after he jokingly put a photo of the car in front of his son Dean's goldfish tank and told the fish, look, there's the haunted car. Next day, the fish died. Hang on a minute. Now, was he telling the goldfish or his son?
0: I think he was telling the goldfish.
1: Are you serious? I think so. Or was he telling his his son, Dean?
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I just had images of this crazy guy talking about a cart of a goldfish in a bowl. Yeah. And then the goldfish pegs it. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's what I took it as anyway. I'm not entirely certain. OK. He could have been showing the picture to his son. The goldfish just happened to take a look at it.
1: All right, OK. Now, ghostly faces have also appeared in the rear view mirror and a lady friend saw a ghost sitting in the back seat.
0: On one occasion, the battery wasn't working, so Keith and his friend Paul attempted to jump start it. Before Keith even had time to connect the jump leads properly, The car jumped into life and the spark from the battery came close to burning his hands. He shouted to Paul that it was too early to turn the car over as he had not fitted the leads properly. As he was saying this, Paul jumped out of the car in sheer terror.
1: Oh, so when asked what was wrong, Paul claimed that the keys turned in the ignition without him doing anything. And then a cloaked figure in black came from the back seat and exited via the passenger door into the bushes. But these guys have been drinking. I don't
0: know, does it just make you wonder, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Bit on the just, sauce. Yeah. I've just been electrocuted, All that's right. why. Oh no, he wasn't, it was his <laughs> mate who was electrocuted, yeah. wasn't it? Dear oh right there. But it's not just the car that appears to be haunted. Keith has also witnessed countless phenomena at whichever address he and the motor reside at, including poltergeist activity and evil ghostly apparitions.
1: I think Keith has definitely been on the source. So, on one occasion, Keith was woken up at three thirty in the morning, apparently by some banging downstairs. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! Stop it. Oh, Naughty! God. Now, when he opened his living room door, a figure was seen to be looking at a picture of ARK six 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 Y that was hanging on the wall. Keith was rooted to the spot in sheer fright. The figure turned and looked straight at him and it appeared to be a 60-something-year-old male.
0: And with that, it just disappeared. Oof! The creepy Capri has scared mechanics, who were left shaking when the car started rocking and making strange noises. (laughs) Honestly. Honestly. I'm trying really hard to get through this one, Jules. <laughs> dogs, who are supposed to be very aware of the spirit world, won't go anywhere near it, and it may have extended its spooky curse to Keith's friends. So
1: hang on a minute. Are the dogs afraid to go near Keith or the Capri?
0: <laughs> I think it could possibly be both, but the Capri, the well, car especially itself. Especially if
1: the car's rocking, you know, it's a little bit Rocking boring.
0: and making strange noises. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, the final straw came when Keith parked the car outside his house and it got hit by lightning whilst he was inside Oh, Keith I know a very lucky chap is no, he not at all so he looked out at the car and it appeared to be glowing with a strange sort of mist around it he's definitely doing something strange
0: something really Keith. odd with the car or with Keith with Keith <laughs> bless him poor Keith
1: yeah
0: well he had enough by then so he decided to enlist the help of a top exorcist the Reverend Lionel Thanthorpe. Remember him from our last podcast?
1: Oh, yes.
0: He was the Tombland Toilet Experience Man.
1: Oh!
0: <laughs> yes. The
1: Toilet Man. He was, yeah. The oh, one who gosh, went down to course. loot to find where the man
0: was and found he wasn't there. Yeah.
1: So anyway, really, he got
0: hold of the Rev to try and get rid of whatever evils the Capri possessed. In an interview with the Maelstrom, Reverend Thanthorpe said...
1: One of the strangest cases I had was a haunted car that i was asked to exercise it was a ford capri with the number plate a r k six 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 y the guy who owned it said it did the most peculiar things and he felt as though there was someone in the car with him well the car was rocking maybe there was (laughs) yeah i went to meet the man with his car and when i arrived i felt a very odd sensation indeed the holy water became inexplicably hot in my hands. It is the only time that has happened. So I exercised the car for him. I blessed it and sprinkled holy water on it. That was the most unusual one.
0: As the reverend said, a very unusual one indeed.
1: Yeah, I don't buy the Capri one. Somehow. I I, 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 just... I had to share it.
0: <laughs> apparently, again, there's been a video made of this.
1: Oh, really?
0: And it's by Richard Felix.
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: and there's actually a video featuring this car that he's made, telling the guy's story. Oh, right. And apparently, okay. this car he, he this car was available for hire for people who want to drive about in it. But I don't know what's happened to it since he was trying to sell it to get rid of it. But oh, wow. Yeah. In this sort of interview that I was reading about, he said he bought the car for 150 quid from this bloke, which he thought was a really good deal at the time. He said the guy drove 50 miles to dump the car on me and was very keen to get rid of it. So it makes you wonder or not whether he'd had strange experiences with it too.
1: Maybe Zach Bagan's bought it.
0: You never know. Who knows? It could be in his haunted museum in Las Vegas, next door to the transaxle from James Dean's car. Indeed. Spooky Capri. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, the weird thing about this though... One thing that really sort of struck me, and this is how weird my brain works, is the number plate. Hmm. ARK 666. Okay, 666 is the number of the beast. We all know that. Yeah, but ARK. Mm Ark. Now, the Ark is well known to be a vessel of things because Noah's Ark was a vessel for the animals in the world. And the Ark of the Covenant was a vessel for the Ten Commandments, which is what allegedly contained. So is Ark 666 a vessel for the devil? And he's chosen to come to earth in a purple Ford (laughs) Capri. Makes you wonder, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) Oh, how your brain works. I know, it's frightening (laughs) sometimes,
0: isn't it? Well, there we go.
1: Are
0: we done? We are indeed. Are we Planes, finished? trains and automobiles.
1: Oh, time flies when you're having fun. It
0: certainly does. I really, really hope you've enjoyed the strange selection of tales that we've shared with you on this episode. We've certainly had fun telling them. And if you have enjoyed the tales on this podcast, then please, please, please take the time to leave us a review. Or to subscribe to make sure you follow us on all bits of our social media.
1: We're everywhere, aren't we? You We're just can't all get rid of us. the place.
0: You can't indeed. So um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. Um, yeah, if you subscribe and follow, then every time a new episode comes out, then you'll be notified.
1: Exactly, um, and you'll have to put up with our sad voices again.
0: You will indeed. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll be a bit sooner rather than later. Oh well, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. We've got lots of work to do. We Raj. have
0: absolutely loads of work and to do.
1: We're soon going to be out there. Or sorry, in there rather than out there, or out there rather than in there.
0: We're going to be in. I'm just getting so confused. In out, shaking it all about. In out, (laughs)
1: shaking it. We're going to be doing some more investigating, aren't we? We
0: are indeed. Yeah. Now the weather's getting slightly better, and we are both slightly better as well. We've got both got over our sort of various illnesses that we've had, and we can actually get out and about and do some investigations. So expect. More investigation work from us and more podcasts too.
1: And we've also got ghost, another Ghost Airfields coming out on Amazon Prime.
0: We have indeed. Um, this one we split it into two episodes. The first episode I hope to have out very soon. We've just got to do a little tiny bit of film, filming just to finish it off and then it's done. And it's Really, really interesting. This this airbase tells an incredible tale, and it's fascinating. Shh. Really fascinating. But I'm not going to say anything. Don't say anything. Secret. Um, one thing I will say though, uh, if any of you have Apple TV. Or you're interested in um, the Second World War air war, then I would go and watch a series called Masters of the Air. It's currently airing on Apple TV, and it's absolutely brilliant.
1: Didn't you say you can get a free trial as well? Or something
0: you like can. It? There was on offering a free trial. Um, it's okay. only for a month, but you're going to have to pay for a couple of months. I think it runs over the next couple of months. So oh, okay. eventually, it's going to appear on other channels. But it really does tell the tale, and it mm. does really bring it to life as I well. I haven't seen it yet. It's it's honestly, it's a real eye opener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a sort of very good working knowledge of how these things operated in World War Two, but it really made me sort of sit back and go, oh my God, it really, really did. It
1: certainly makes you think, doesn't and it? And
0: it is one of the reasons why we're so interested in going around the air bases in this area and telling the stories as well, because... There's a lot more to it than just going up and saying, ooh, there's a ghost, woo, scary! Oh, it's... there's
1: inc- an incredible <clears throat> amount of history in the airbases in Norfolk, isn't there? Yeah, and Huge. all the stories
0: that go with it. Yeah, and, and we don't want some... them
1: to get forgotten. No. no,
0: that is the thing. And they're all slowly fading into the sort of background and, and into the uh, agriculture and the landscape and disappearing. So yeah, while these... we get the chance, we'll go and record what we can and yeah, share it with you. Well,
1: they deserve these guys, you know, worked hard, lived and died to give us the lives that we have today. So they deserve to be recognised and to have their stories told. Yeah,
0: And um, we're covering both. We're covering the um, US, United States Army Air Force bases in the south our region, which is the ones around where Jules lives. And we've also got RAF bases to the north as well. So we're also going to be looking at our RAF bomber boys who actually flew out at night on some very, very scary missions. And they've got some frightening tales to tell
1: as mm, well. Some of which are highly top secret as Indeed, well. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: So there we go. That's it from us.
1: It is indeed. Thank you for listening.
0: And we'll be back again very soon with another exciting podcast episode.
1: So it's goodbye from me.
0: And it's goodbye from me.
1: Goodbye. Take care.
0: Goodbye.